0: chapter 17 of an eye for an eye by william Lequeux. this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by tom Weiss. chapter 17 a visit from boyd without a seconds hesitation i rushed up the steps after boyd but on gaining the platform found that a train had just gone out and was at that moment disappearing across the bridge over the thames the detective, known to the ticket collector as a police officer, had been allowed to pass the barrier, and had evidently caught the same train as Blaine. There was certainly an element of deepest mystery in the fact that the unknown man, who had kept the appointment in St. James's Park, and had afterwards taken such elaborate precautions against being followed, should be revealed to none other than the once purse-proud proprietor of Shenley. Quite apparent it was, too, that the object of Eva's visit to the park, was to meet him clandestinely for what reason was an enigma the more i revolved the strange events within my mind the more absolutely bewildering they became true i had made certain discoveries discoveries which rather than tending to throw light on the real author of the crime or its motive only however increased the enigma and enveloped the woman whom i had grown to love so fondly in an impenetrable veil of suspicion Thoughts such as these filled my mind as, turning from the station in despair, I went back into the dust and turmoil of Fleet Street, crowded at that hour by tired thousands hurrying homeward. I loved Eva, Even though every proof I had obtained pointed to her complicity in the dastardly affair, she was still my idol. I thought daily, hourly, only of her, refusing always to suspect her, and endeavoring to convince myself that the truce i had elicited had no foundation in fact love is blind when a man loves a woman as i loved Ava Glasslyn at that moment nothing can turn aside his passion i verily believed that if at that hour i had stood by and seen her in the dock at the old bailey condemned as a murderess my affection for her would have been none the less i lived for her alone she was all that was dearest in the world to me mary blaine had no doubt noticed my infatuation yet she had said nothing she herself being i believed in love with dick at least i could congratulate myself that we had mutually agreed to allow the past to fade from our remembrance nevertheless when i thought of ava and told myself how passionate my affection and how ardent my feelings towards her The ogre of suspicion would sometimes arise and cause me to pause in my ecstatic dreamings. Had she not stiffened strangely and refused to reciprocate my love? Had she not point blank told me that we could never be more than friends? Had she not, indeed, herself hinted at her own guilt in that strange sentence which had fallen from her lips? As I passed up Fleet Street that evening, jostling with the crowd, I thought of these things and was plunged into gloom and uncertainty. This statement of Old Lowry was one of which I felt in duty bound to obtain proof. Yet how? He had declared that a woman exactly resembling her had purchased a certain drug which could be required for one purpose alone. While a secret attempt had been made to take my life, by whom I knew not. Sometimes, in moments of despair, I entertained deep suspicions of her but always I found my love in the ascendancy, and ended by refusing to believe the evidence which I had so diligently and patiently collected. For months Scotland Yard had had the matter in hand, but discovering nothing had allowed it to drop. Of course, in face of the statement made by the landlord of the house in Fillimore Place, Boyd was ever anxious to question Mr. Blaine, but had wisely left this to me. And how had I succeeded?' only in making discoveries which, although startling in themselves, increased the mystery rather than solved it. Even at that moment the identity of the victims remained still unknown. They were lying in nameless graves in Abney Park Cemetery, having been buried by the parish. The Blaines alone could give us information as to who they were, and who was the unnamed scientist whose discovery was now creating such a stir throughout Europe curious it was that he did not come forward and claim the discovery as his own for he must have read accounts of it in the papers my own theory in this matter was that he was unable to communicate with the royal institution for one simple reason namely that he was dead that he was the man whom we found lying lifeless with that strange mascot the penny wrapped in paper in his pocket i walked along to wellington street where i called in to see my friend crutchley one of the sub-editors of the morning post who had just come on duty and was preparing for his night's work in the offices of the morning papers activity begins when tired london takes her ease for their night is as day until at dawn the staff weary after hours of work by electric light and stifling rooms go forth chilled and jaded to their homes to sleep while the world works For half an hour I sat in his den, where the table was already piled with telegrams and flimsy, while he, with coat off, shirt-cuffs turned up, and a cigarette in his mouth sighed, sharpened his big blue pencil, and, as he chatted, commenced to slaughter wordy descriptions by two eloquent reporters. The world wants news, not gas, is the motto of every working sub-editor. The public prefer facts without padding and to cut out the latter is the duty of the man who, from the sub-editorial chair, decides upon what shall appear and what shall be admitted, a duty which requires the greatest care and judgment. When I left him I recollected that Dick had gone to some place down in Essex from the Comet, and would not return to eat the diurnal steak in company. Therefore I wandered aimlessly along the Strand, and turned into a restaurant, afterwards spending the evening at the theatre. Nearly three weeks went by, and I heard nothing of Boyd. although I had written to him. At nearly ten o'clock one night, however, when I had returned to Gray's Inn alone, I found the detective standing in the half-light against the mantelpiece. "'Bad luck,' the other night, he said, after we had exchanged greetings. "'What, didn't you follow him?' I cried, surprised. "'No, that's the devil of it,' he exclaimed in a tone of bitter disappointment, sinking into a chair. You'll remember that that platform at Ludgate Hill is an island one, and just as I got through the barrier, a train on the other side was moving off to Snow Hill and Morgate Street while one to Blackheath was just on the point of starting in the opposite direction. I of course jumped into the latter, feeling sure he'd be getting out of town, and you found out your mistake too late. I examined all the carriages at Low Barrow Junction, but there was no sign of him. He evidently took the other train, unfortunate, I answered then sat for a few moments, in calm reflection. "'Unfortunate,' he echoed. "'It's more than that. We seem foredoomed to failure in this affair. I've had three men on the job ever since, but with no result. Even the Narks know nothing. But,' he added, "'when I pointed him out, you seem to know him. Am I right?' I hesitated, wondering whether to tell him all the facts as I knew them, and obtain his assistance in my further inquiries." it struck me that he, a professional investigator of crime, shrewd, clear-headed, and acquainted with all the methods and subterfuges of evil doers, might suggest some other means which had not occurred to me. I had hitherto been deterred from making any explanation of my discoveries and suspicions on account of my strong love for Ava, but now the idea took possession of me, that if I explained the whole to Boyd, and told him of my deep affection for her, we might work together and perhaps at length obtain some solution of this most intricate of problems. I was sick with the giddiness of one who falls from some great height. I had lost my hold upon the dreams and hopes of life. "'You're quite right, Boyd,' I said, handing him the cigarettes. "'I know that man.' "'Who is he? He looks rather gentlemanly. That shabby get-up of his was a fake, I'm sure.' "'Yes,' I responded. "'He's a man pretty well to do.' his name is Blaine, and he is the husband of Mrs. Blaine, whom you recollect is supposed to have taken the house in Fillmore Place.' The detective gave vent to an unwritable exclamation. "'Blaine!' he echoed, his face betraying a look of amazement and pausing with the lighted Vesta in his hand. "'Well, that's indeed a facer.' Then he added, "'He must in that case know something of the matter as well as his wife.' At that moment there was a tap at the door of the sitting-room, and old Mrs. Joad entered with a letter, which she said had come by the last post, and she had forgotten to give it to me. By the writing I saw it was from Eva, and eagerly read it. It was a brief note to say that her mother had been called away to her brother in Inverness, who was seriously ill, that the Hollies was closed, and that she had accepted an invitation to remain the guest of the Blaines until Lady Glaslyn's return. I handed the note to the detective without comment well he exclaimed looking up at me when he had read it there's nothing very fishy about that is there then i recollected that he was in ignorance of my suspicions yet i loved eva with all my soul and held back from placing any facts in the hands of this man who with ruthless disregard for my affection or my feelings would perhaps arrest her for complicity in the crime and yet as i sat before him watching his face through the blue haze of cigarette smoke I felt impelled to seek his aid, for this tangled chain of recent events had utterly bewildered and unnerved me. I was not yet strong again after the strange seizure which had so puzzled the doctor, and a sense of gloom and despair had since overwhelmed me, arising perhaps from the constant suspicion that a secret attempt had been made upon my life. To remain longer in that state of uncertainty was impossible. I felt I should go mad if I did not make some further determined effort to ascertain the truth. Someone, whom I knew not, had attempted to kill me. And why? There could be but one reason. Because I had succeeded in placing myself upon the actual track of the assassin. An attempt, cowardly and dastardly, had been made upon me. Therefore I had every right to seek the aid of the police to discover its author. This argument decided me and casting my cigarette into the grate i asked boyd to give me his attention while i related to him all that i had discovered in an instant his free and easy manner changed and as i spoke he sat leaning towards me attentively listening to every word but hazarding no remark without attempting to conceal anything i explained to him first of all my great love for the woman who was under such terrible suspicion and then as i narrated our conversation when alone on the river and repeated her curious response to my declaration of love he knit his dark brows seriously and gave vent to a grunt indicative of doubt he was no blunderer this detective unlike the majority he was well educated speaking french and italian fluently an adept in the art of disguise a man who formed very careful theories and whose appearance was never that of an agent of police. One would rather have taken him for a well-to-do Jew, or perhaps some prosperous city man of foreign extraction, for his dark complexion and aquiline features gave him an un-English appearance, and his invariable spruceness in dress accounted for his success in following criminals who never dreamed that the smart, well-dressed gentleman of perfect manner was actually an emissary from Scotland Yard. His knowledge of foreign languages had caused him to be entrusted with numbers of very important inquiries, political and criminal, and in tracking the guilty he had paid flying visits to nearly all the continental capitals. In his sharp eyes there was a strange glitter, I thought, as without interruption I told him what I knew. I advanced no theories whatever, but merely laid before him the plain unvarnished truth. Then, when I had finished, I said, now first of all recollect that whatever may be the result of our inquiries i will do no harm whatever to the woman i love understand that entirely i quite understand he said gravely speaking for the first time that's only natural but the difficulties in our way appear almost insurmountable well i asked anxiously what is your opinion now that i have told you everything he shook his head puffed thoughtfully at the fresh cigarette he had just lit and then contemplated it thoughtfully i have no opinion at present he responded one might form half a dozen theories upon these facts all equally wide of the mark then how are we to act i asked in dismay he raised his dark eyebrows in gesture of bewilderment then he gazed gravely in my face look here boyd i continued i love eva Glasslyn." and to you I make no secret of it whatsoever. But at all hazards I mean to ascertain the truth, even at the risk of convicting her,' he inquired, looking across at me quickly. "'Convicting her?' I echoed. "'Then you really entertain the same suspicion as myself?' "'We may have suspicions without forming any theories,' he responded calmly. Then he added, in a tone of regret, "'It's certainly a thousand pities that you love her.' "'Why?' Upon your own showing she appears to have very little regard for you. How? Well, he answered slowly, there's no doubt that the other day an attempt was made upon your life. And you suspect her? We can suspect no one else, he answered. According to that old herbalist's statement, she had purchased a certain drug of him. What could an innocent young lady require with this unnamed drug, if not to administer it to someone she wanted to get rid of? but she has no object in ridding herself of me, I urged. Of that I'm not quite so sure, my dear fellow, he observed, after a brief pause. Recollect that on the morning when she went to St. James's Park, in order to meet, for some mysterious purpose, the man who we now know was old Mr. Blaine, she met you face to face. We have no idea what her actions were previously, but she may have believed that you had been spying upon her therefore on recognizing you when you were formally introduced at riverdene she conceived a plan for getting you out of the way it was with that object very possibly that she made the secret purchase at the herbalist no boy, i can't believe it of her i said quickly i won't believe it very well he said in the same calm tone as before but there's still another fact extremely puzzling and that is why this man lowry should have left in such a hurry I must inquire at the Carter Street police station, the district wherein he lived, and see whether there was anything against him. By the way, he added, does your friend Clue know the whole of these facts you've explained to me? No, not the whole, only some. Does he know that you've declared your love to Lady Glaslyn's daughter and been refused? No. Then don't tell him, said the detective. I believe that the reason of his sudden weariness of Lily Lowry's society is due to the fact that he loves Mary Blaine. All the more reason then why he should in future remain in entire ignorance of whatever facts we may elicit. Then he paused, furiously consuming his cigarette, and taking a long draught of the whiskey and soda I had mixed and placed at his elbow. This is really a most remarkable mystery, Erwin, he exclaimed at length, twisting the plain gold ring upon his finger, a habit of his when pondering deeply. There seem a thousand complications it's absolutely the most astounding case that i've ever had in hand even shaw or superintendent at the yard a man whose deep-rooted conviction is that we never need fail if we really take an interest in an inquiry acknowledged to me the other day that he could see no way to a clue of course we might question mrs blaine or even arrest blaine himself on suspicion if we could find him again but whoever is guilty has taken such careful precautions to obliterate every trace of a clue that both the superintendent and myself are agreed that the interrogation of either of the blaines would only result in defeating our ends that was exactly my own opinion i had many times wondered why the police had not made inquiries of mrs blaine on account of the statement by the landlord at kensington but it was now plain that the director of criminal investigations the grey-headed loud-voiced old gentleman whom i knew quite well at scotland yard had decided otherwise "'But why are you so anxious that my friend Clue should remain in ignorance of our movements?' I inquired. "'You say that he loves Mary Blaine,' answered Boyd. He might, in that case, drop some unintentional hint to her of the direction of our inquiries. This matter to be successful must be entirely a secret between ourselves. You understand? Today we've made a discovery, the identity of the man who threw some object into the lake and it puts a rather fresh complexion upon the affair even though it further complicates it considerably you said that his wife has all along told you that her husband was in paris i think yes i responded she said he was there in connection with some company which he was trying to promote and all along he has been in london in hiding he may have just returned from paris i suggested recollect that i've not been to riverdene for some little time no my dear fellow boyd said his ingenuity in eluding us in Ebury Street showed that he had already prepared a snug hiding-place for himself before the tragedy at Fillimore Place. Besides, the other evening his clothes showed an attempt at disguise, didn't they? Certainly he's very smartly dressed always, indeed rather a fop in his way. Depend upon it that he's never dared to set foot outside London all this time he knows well enough that the metropolis is the safest place in the whole world in which a criminal may conceal himself. Only a bungler attempts to get away abroad. Silence again fell between us. The quiet was unbroken save for the slow ticking of the clock upon the mantel-shelf. Of a sudden, with a rather curious glance, he bent forward to me, eagerly saying, Now, in this affair, we must be perfectly candid with each other. You must conceal nothing from me. I have concealed nothing i protested surprised at his curious attitude as though he held me in some suspicion i don't allege that you have he answered but i want you to answer truthfully a question which is of highest importance i want you to tell me whether on the afternoon of the day you were called by patterson to kensington your friend clue was here at home no he certainly wasn't i arrived home first and he came in perhaps 10 minutes or a quarter of an hour later than usual i answered "'wondering what connection this could have with the inquiry. "'And after you made the discovery, you did not telegraph or communicate with him in any way? "'I take it that you were surprised to meet him in that house?' "'Certainly I was,' I responded. "'But he had an appointment with Lily Lowry, and finding that she could not keep it, "'he came along to Kensington to ascertain the nature of the event about which Patterson had wired to me.' The detective's features relaxed into a strange smile. Would you be surprised then to know that your friend never called at the police station on that evening, but went straight to Fillimore Place and there joined me while you were absent inquiring of the neighbors. That very evening I inquired of the constable on duty at the door of the station, and of others, all of whom told me that no one had called to inquire for Patterson, except yourself. That's certainly extraordinary, I said in wonderment. Yes, he observed mechanically. It's a very curious fact one which appears to prove that he knew something more of the mysterious occurrence than he has admitted in fact that he was aware of it long before we were what i gasped gazing at my companion in alarm surely you don't mean that you suspect dick of having had any hand in the affair then at that instant i recollected how when i had received the telegram on that memorable evening his face had suddenly changed and his hand had trembled End of chapter seventeen. Recording by Tom Weiss, tom's audiobooks dot com.